Welcome to part two of the Melanated Faith Podcast. We're so excited that you get to join us for this discussion. So there's a lot of talk right now online about deconstruction as a negative thing and um, like deconstruction of, you know, your faith, namely. Um, But it doesn't have to be. Um, It can be coming um, into a fuller understanding of who God is um, and, you know, like, you know, who who he is in a way that many of us, um, honestly, were not taught, you know, much to a lot of the things that you're saying. So anyways, can you talk about the ways um, about deconstruction, reconstruction, how it can be something that's good and healing um, and, you know, needed and useful, especially for um, Black women? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first, uh, I, I feel like terms are often bandied about without any kind of common defining of those terms. So deconstruction to one one corner of the internet is like synonymous with heresy. With another, um, it is a process of recovery. And for another, it's um, an expansion of theological uh, understanding and tradition and so I I feel I feel hesitant to even I you know like I, I'm finding it hard to grasp what what do people mean when they say deconstruction because because you I don't know that you mean in what what I'm thinking that you mean in but I will say one thing that has frustrated me over the course of my um, cognizant life the whole way through has been how small and like petty and um, easily offended God has been presented to me. Like he cannot, God cannot hold up against your question. So please just, just listen to what I say about who God is because, because what is really dangerous is if you start asking asking questions that asking questions is a, a sign of lack of devotion lack of faith that false dichotomy drives me crazy because when you when you care about something or someone you you want to know more you want to dig deeper you will necessarily come into a conflict this will happen in any relationship if i have a relationship with god yeah at some point we're gonna come to blows it and and at every point he's gonna god is gonna be asking me questions i'm gonna be asking god questions now if i don't know him if we don't speak that's a really that's like a really good way for me to never ask anything right that's the best way is to keep this i think that conflict and Curiosity are are two fundamental tenets of relationships, and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't stop just because it's vertical instead of horizontal. So I think as a, as a parent, especially, I feel like my my privilege is to allow generous space mm. for my children to ask questions and for them to to become accustomed to um, yes. tension and a lack of, of answers. 
Right. I do not want for my children to always be like, yeah. Jesus. When I ask them any kind of Bible related question, right? Like, okay, <laughs> who did Goliath want to kill? Jesus. No, baby, no. So like, yeah. But that, but that's kind of what we catechize littles into is like a, let's have a really simple. No. So I want them to construct, I guess, have a constructive faith, which, which, you know, they will definitely have to deconstruct the things that, that they have inherited from me and, and their, their dad, they will, because yeah. those are the, the parts of their faith that they did not form that the, they they you know are right now taking yeah um as true from me and i'm gonna do the best i can but they are necessarily as a as a form of maturation and critical thinking and emotional um maturation they are going to ask questions they're going to question me they're going to question their yeah. dad they're going to question authority yeah. they're going to question god they're going to do it if they're healthy and God expects the same of yeah. his children. He just, he just, uh, he has, he has capacity. And we know that, that I'm, that Sharif is not making this up. We know that because in, in primary interactions with people, with, with Adam and Eve freshly like hiding with fig leaves, he, he doesn't say, I yeah. know what you did. He says, where are you? He starts with questions. We see Jesus starting with questions. Because this is yeah. where you you invite people to think and don't just tell them what to do, but you you help them, you disciple them into maturity yeah. through questioning and through not being intimidated yeah. by questions. Yeah, no, I mean, that was great because I think one of my things, I, a couple of things that you said that really resonated with me. One, I think... Um, having grace for the people that Kachikot, like taught us because like I have information or I understand the world in a way that's different than what my parents understood. And so in some ways, you know, we talk a lot about like social yeah. media and social media discipleship. And I think my parents gave me the tools for that as, you know, I was raised in their household, but they lived in a rotary phone world, like not an iPhone world, not a Twitter world. Um, and so there are some things, you know, I'm having to yeah. build based on living in a new world. And that doesn't mean that, you know, yes. they had good intentions and they gave me the space. And I and I think that your point about asking questions, I mean, I just as you were talking, I was thinking about Jacob, who was like, like literally wrestling with God. I think about the disciples on the road to Emmaus who were like, ask Jesus, don't you read the Bible? Like, don't you know that the Messiah is supposed to come and Israel is supposed <laughs> to be returned to power and these Romans are supposed to not exist anymore? Don't you, son mm, of God, eternal mm, king, don't you know? Mm, and he had to like, mm, okay, your expectations, you you read the scripture wrong. You did not understand what, what, that, what was being prophesied. So I, you know, I think to your point, like the testimony of scripture is asking questions and that's part of how we learn and grow. Um, but yeah, and like giving ourself, I love what you said at the beginning about having space for your future self. Um, Cause I yeah. think we can be very harsh yeah. on ourselves and on our parents and maybe on the churches that, that yeah. raised us um, because, you know, they didn't give us everything, but they gave us what they could in some cases. In some cases, they had negative intent, but you know, 
But a lot of but a lot of people probably didn't have negative intent. You know, we can't really know what it was. Um, you know, of course, we know there's a lot of problematic theology and people and things like that out there. But I do think it's worth noting that a lot of parents, a lot of people have really tried to do the best that they could with what they knew. Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, Black women, we've had a lot of trauma um, from the church and ministry spaces and the world at large. There's a toll on our mental, physical, spiritual health. Um and then when we try to share, we're re-traumatized because, you know, we don't have a submissive spirit or, you know, you just need to kind of get over it. Or why are you making this such a big deal? Or if you were a good Christian girl, you would just take it, right? Because, I mean, that is, I think in some ways, like Paige's understanding of marriage is part of what it means to be a good Christian wife is to just take this. Um, and I think... Part of the gendered racism that, like, Black women experience is this idea of, like, you're always supposed to be, like, the spunky best friend or sort of Aunt Jemima comfort figure. And, 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 God, and God forbid you ever step out of that box. And I think Christians have spiritualized this, right? And so I guess to, you know, put on my Oprah voice, you know, is Jesus silent about <laughs> the dignity of Black women or has he been silenced? And then <laughs> and then, how do you recover the truth? How do you recover the truth? I, you know. <laughs> that was a lot, but... Misogynoir is a lot. Um... Mm. Okay, that's the it's just so vast. Catherine, because um I mean, I think the easiest part to to answer is that Jesus is not I mean, his interactions are literally being ignored um in order to build an alternative theology that's that's more like financially lucrative. I I I feel well. like a lot of this is because of the love of money. A lot of this. So a lot of this mess, a lot of this mm. mess. I don't think we would be uh, out here calling ourselves black. We would know, you know, we would know who we were. We would be speaking a different language right now if it weren't for the love of money, right? So I, and, and I think that Jesus, you would not know how much Jesus, how much the, how much prophecy, how much the law, how much the whole, every genre in scripture talked about treatment of the poor and the handling of wealth. You would never know in this particular iteration of Christianity that um, this strange fruit of Christianity that has yeah. grown off of the tree of American greed, right? But you, you, you would never know. You just would never, so I guess, there is an attempt at silencing, but again, um, because I believe God, yeah. I know that the yeah. spirit of God does not play that, does not, does not traffic in that. And so the truth always, always comes back up and the truth comes back up in, in active resistance to the love of money and, the, and, and, and greed and the weathering, um, because look, I don't know about y'all. Have y'all have y'all seen these reports, these um, studies, these genome studies that say after one after one significantly traumatic incident, that 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 incident can actually live in your body and be passed on to your children? Did you did you hear about these studies? 
So, and people are studying um, Holocaust survivors because that was such a profound, horrible trauma. And you could see, you could see the effects of yeah. the Holocaust on children who were not there, who were not born um, for several, several years. And all that's doing, right? That's like really good work by like, that's, that's really good work. But all that's telling me is that there is, this is living in us as well. Um, and it is, and, and justice is a beautiful um, antidote to this. Uh, repar reparation is a beautiful antidote to this. Um, it's not just beautiful, but it is, it is something we see in, in the concept of Jubilee. Um, I'm not making it up, but so as far as like the, the theological underpinnings of it, right? So God, God is like, you want to be, you, you want to be a, a city on a hill. This is what you want to do. You want to be a witness for me. This is what you want to do. What, this is the, the kind of fast that I declare, he says in Isaiah 58 and talks about, uh, the alleviation of, um, hunger and, and poverty and, uh, not letting people suffer and languish in homelessness and, and hunger. And it's there. It's, I'm not making it up. Yeah, no, it strikes me as to your point about greed, how much of scripture we've either diminished or downplayed as unrealistic because we prefer the love of money. And it's like this yeah. idea of like, no, when Jesus says, like, take up your cross, like, it's not easy. And I think so much of we've chosen, you know, we think we're taking up a, or the crosses, you know, I should have my way all the time. I should have some sort of cultural um, dominance. But this idea of Christianity is like low, s slow, small, um, radical mm -hmm. has been sacrificed sort of on this altar of like American greed, consumerism, capitalism. And, and, you know, to your point, like violence, there are, long-term like generational effects and consequences yes. from yeah for everybody for everybody everybody i think for that's everybody. the thing that's like frustrating sometimes about these conversations is it's like no like white supremacy is bad for white people too the love of money sort of the greed that has trapped all of us is bad for you mm -hmm. for you too i it might be hard for you to see because you feel like you've got your two cars, your white picket fence or whatever, but it's crushing your soul. That, that level of, of desensitization to the plight of your neighbor is, um, it's, it's pathology. It's not, it's not flourishing. The thought that in order for you to succeed, you must crush someone else. And the theologies that bloom from that, that necessarily, you necessarily have to pit Avashti against an Esther. You have to, it, it, you have, there has to be a hero and a bad guy. And especially in a group that you need to dominate. It's so, it's, it's so much the, of course, the theology that blooms 
from greed and violence is going to look greedy and violent and create a greedy and violent God. Yeah. I mean, I think like as we're thinking about that and like just some of the, you know, the concepts we were just talking about um, as we land our plane here, what is like the hope um, that you have for black women in America Um, And how does your relationship with God or your theological imagination help you to hold on to hope and work through your speaking and teaching to bring about that new path? Mm. Well, that is a that's lovely. That's just a lovely question. Um, It is because I feel like hope is probably one of the most dangerous and tender things that um i contend with hope hope um hope's presence is an indicator to me of impending despair so it's usually showing up because i'm desperate and there are two two roads to go down and this is the same with imagination people don't imagine when they're comfortable you know a lot of times it comes imagination and hope travel together and it's like it's like this this choice to fall at least for me I'm like falling tripping towards uh, a more resilient and beautiful outcome but I'm grappling with hopelessness I'm grappling with despair I'm grappling with being stuck I'm grappling with what if this never changes? And so um, I, think, I think my hope for Black women specifically is in our inheritance, number one, in our creation, number two. The fact that we are is just a miracle in and of itself. The fact that we are, we were not meant to be here we were not. The fact that we continue um, to learn, to grow, to love, to be educated, to open businesses, to create, to respond, to resist is a testimony to the faithfulness of God, the God who made us, the God who made us and said we are good, right? And so that, that creation element, yeah. the fact that we breathe, we are here um, yes. is is a constant font of hope, but also um, the inheritance that we have because, you know, they tried to erase us. Um, And they erased a lot that I, you know, look forward to, to knowing in the new heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. When I speak in all my tongues, all of them, when I sing in all of them, right? And that's part of Mm -hmm. my imagining too, because it's God's gonna restore it (laughs) to us. But our inheritance, because we have been um, partially erased, gets gets vaster in a way. Because now I, I get to I get to claim the yeah. whole continent. I'm just like I don't know I don't know what kind con- combination it is. So I'm gonna celebrate it all. Yeah. It's the cradle from which all of us come. I mean, yeah. I know the Garden of Eden was somewhere yes. on the continent wow. of Africa, right? So, so it's, it's this, this erasure has also created a diaspora. 
So like the erasure resulted in multiplication and that's nothing but God. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's like how mm-hmm. he does where people, people are like, well, you know, kill the baby boys. And instead, you know, they give birth more vigorously. Yes. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like our inheritance is, is so much in line with the timeline of scripture. It is, is so much in line with Hagar being the only one to name God. It is, is so much in line with the resistance of midwives. And midwives, Yeah. L- listen, you know, I'm mm. on the board of Abide Women's Health, and it's been a good education for me just knowing that black women were the midwives for America. And, and babies yeah. lived. And so a part of part of restoration and imagination looks like more yes. black midwives. Mm-hmm. Simply simply protecting um, black life through midwives. Because when midwives are giving, um, helping women yes. through the birth process, yes. babies live and mothers live. We're not having this mm-hmm. madness of, of mortality rates. Um, that are three to four times as much as white women. We're not having that anymore. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But, it's, but that's in the time, you know, that's, that's in the timeline of scripture. This is our, this is our inheritance. It's not, it's not just one person, one, one people's inheritance. This is ours. As, as a mm-hmm. Christ follower, I, I claim it. And as a, a person in a marginalized yes. community in this, in this, and a person in this particular social location, I claim it, I recognize myself. Yeah. In these stories. And I know in these stories, in the, in the end, in the middle, in the beginning, God sees. Right. So and he acts. And then when he acts, it's not going to happen in the way that we think it's going to happen. So this is our inheritance. And this is what this is what gives me hope. You know, the the inheritance that we have the, and the way in which we are created is a repository of hope for me. Um, when I'm feeling the dank darkness of just living in a fallen world. Yeah, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so good. I think I'm like struck. It reminds me of that, like Brian Stevenson quote, where he basically says, hopelessness is the enemy of justice. Because if you're without, uh, without hope, you're not able to imagine, you know, just outcomes or different like that the way it is now is not the way it has to be. Like hope is critical to the work of of mm. of, of justice. So and I good. love what you say about hope and imagination traveling together because I had not thought of that. But instantly when you said it in my spirit, I was like, yes. Ooh, that was a word. <laughs> uh. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Look, you you writing a book, right? Listen, listen. Don't it's so be, good. Ooh. And then it's, I wrote down when you said, "People don't imagine when they're comfortable." Wow. I was like, "Oh, yes. Jesus!" Yes. That, I'm like, "That was a word for me because yeah. I'm sitting over here like, yes, yes, be encouraged." <laughs> yes. Here's the thing. I am in one of the most uncomfortable mm. seasons of my life right now. And I was literally sitting on my couch thinking and I was saying to a friend, I was like, I just, there's so much uncertainty and I'm trying to picture everything. I just can't picture everything of what's next. And um, 
now you say people don't imagine when they're comfortable. And I'm like, well, then I think I'm right where I need to be. Amen. Because Amen. I need to be imagined. Being Anyways, thank you. Just, just deliver me on today. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's, see how good God is? Ugh. Yes. We're going to put in the show notes where you can follow Sharifa, where you can find her writing so that you can continue to get this blessing that is Sharifa Aww. Stevens. Yes, we're going to do that. And I'm going to um we're going to link another book called um It Didn't Start With You. I believe that's what it's called and it talks about trauma and how it is passed down through the DNA. It's a really excellent. Uh, yeah, so um, so that would help. That might help some of you all, like, you know, connect with what Sharifa um, really has shared today. That's so important. Okay. Well, it is time for our favorite segment and yours. Go off, sis. Um, this is where we <laughs> talk about. Um, something that we're loving, our bless, and then also something that is a mess right now. Um, Catherine, do you want to get us kicked off? Sharifa, we want you to join in. Okay. So we're going to go after Catherine. I'm on. So Catherine's going to, yes, Catherine's yes. going to be your example. Okay. And kick it off, and then you'll go next, and I'll um, go last. Yeah. So, okay, so my bless is, um, you guys know, or maybe you don't know, um, I'm very bougie, but <laughs> God is working on me. And discipling me into a new season. So the, my bless is Aldi. I'd never been there before. Yes, but, love you know, it. Yesterday I was like, oh, I have all this extra time after, you know, studying. And I went into Aldi. And at first I was put off by the fact that you have to pay for a cart. But then once I got my mind right, I was like, why haven't I been going here forever? You saved so Aldi, much money. So much. I was, like, shocked. I was like, sir, wait, you need to... This can't be right. You didn't check all my items when I got the receipt, but Lord bless he had. And so if you're bougie like me and, you know, try to stick, you know, with Whole Foods or Central Market, Trader Joe's, girls, get on Aldi, change your life. Great change quality food. Change your wallet. Save some money. Um, so you can, you know, increase your book budget, you know. Um, okay, so my mess is going to be Black Death for Entertainment. I Mm. love pop culture, but I am seeing sort of um, an epidemic of writers writing stories where black people's lives are treated very carelessly for the sake of a plot device, for the sake of spectacle. And it's not clear for me in some of these cases is the story for black people or if it's for white audiences? And then if it's for white audiences, I'm deeply disturbed. Um, but just but you are the, clear like, though, right? But you are kind of well, clear. Okay. Yes, I am clear. Because well, here's the thing that's frustrating to me. It's like, for example, I'm going to give an example. Um, the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay, if you have not watched the last episode, episode four... Stop listening. List, watch the episode and come back. Um, the sidekick Lamar is killed in a very um, demeaning. Basically, he's discarded um, and then is killed. And it serves as this plot device for this replacement Captain America 
to I mean, I think the show wants us to think this guy became evil and he took this this serum because his friend was killed when reality it's like this was in him all along and he's using a black person as an excuse to be evil. And I just think that that's very problematic and, you know, I can give other examples of other stories, but it just feels like there's a way to use horror or yeah, you know, I think about Judah and the Black Messiah, right? Like Fred Hampton dies, but in that movie, it's not a divisive, like, it's not meant to be a spectacle, it's not porn. I guess. It's it's not porn. I mean, like, reality was he was murdered in this horrific way. Um, and it's not like we're watching his body get, like, shot up and, you know, and those kinds of things. And I just feel like there's a level of care and responsibility, even for black filmmakers, who you feel like this is your story or you're saying something important, to think beyond... <laughs> just black death as spectacle or plot devices and you know to have some respect for black life Mm -hmm. in your writing Mm -hmm. and storytelling Mm -hmm. so that's my mess Mm -hmm. okay it's gonna be hard for me to go next um but because that that mess i i just obviously so Catherine and i and some of our friends have been texting each other about falcon and winter soldier because of black death and blackness as a as a trope um as a prop rather than um being really responsible and nuanced which would result in better um entertainment i think um more informative uh and rich i i also have heard things about them i haven't seen it yes um uh i have seen lovecraft country and that is some brilliant brilliant horror so I know it can be done, yeah. Um, but I don't think them is anyway. So yes, I just I'm gonna piggyback off of what you said about that mess. Um, I also think anything Rachel Hollis does is mess. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, so talk about it. I, talk that's, about that's it. all I'm gonna say because I also think it's just ridiculous. I think it's I I just am so sick of using my energy in in these ways. Yes. And in this time, I'm just like evaluating how many times how do how many because it's such a gift every time to give constructive feedback and criticism it's such a gift and it's also really um hurtful to the person who's giving i'm really Mm -hmm. trying to evaluate what what this next season looks like because i think that social media has created an environment where it's easy to get re-traumatized um and yes yeah, I, and I'm sure you, Faith. Mm. So, I'm I'm just even figuring out like what 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 kind of space to hold. But I don't know if you hear my baby. Yes, he's he's one of my blessings. Um, yeah. <laughs> this this house <laughs> with all these books. Um, this house is a bless. I'm just gonna put it out yes. there because <laughs> we've been in this process for a long time, and yes. we're it's something to have um, space. Yes. Especially for black people knowing the history of housing discrimination, redlining, um, redlining, um, racism in the homes that you're shown in property. Yes, Everything. that is a bless, a bless, a bless. So it's a bless. It's a bless. You know, oh, I will tell you all this. Here's my mess. OK, because I mentioned this. Um, so it could be OK, because. Part of what it is to be a homeowner, I'm learning, is, you know, you need things serviced and you need to, 
discern what you do yourself and what needs to be done externally. And when I tell you this, this week, somebody walked in my house and I was trapped in the bathroom <laughs> for God's glory. Somebody walked into my house, saw my white blue eyed husband and started pounding around. And the, the casual conversation was about how black and brown people are bringing down that person's neighborhood. And he said it wow. to my husband with so much casual uh, ease, thinking that my husband was going to return that kind of energy. Even after you get the home, it doesn't mean that the insidiousness, there's no refuge yeah. is what I'm saying. Like it can come to you. And, and part of, part of the dis, equilibrium that comes from being a black woman in this social location, the mess, is is that they're they're really we gotta snatch that piece when we can yeah, get yeah. it. Gotta snatch it because it can be interrupted. That kind of vulnerability is the domestic terrorism that comes with systematic racism. That is so true. Okay, so my um I had my bliss and I lost it, but so let me just start with the mess. So um, the mess that I have right now is with performative activism mm. and mm. white folks who want a pass for trying to seemingly say the right things that are going to get them out of the hot seat um, whenever they make a mistake and say something racially charged mm. that's wrong. Um and so they plead for sympathy and empathy, but then when called out to see if they're actually following up on doing the thing that they said they would do, they once again return hostility and other things towards black people. There's a situation going on on TikTok that's just with a, cre with a white creator that's just literally just displaying so much vitriol for a black creator that reached out and said, hey, you said you wanted to collaborate. I'd love to collaborate. And they ghosted um, They ghosted this person. And so um, there's a lot of talk now about this. And I just think, you know, for the white folks, just to kind of help y'all, this is why a lot of black people are leery of collaborating and, and working with with many um, white people, because I don't I don't need to work with you because sometimes what you're trying to do is use me to say, see, I'm good. And, you know, I'm not going to be your token kind of like, see, I'm cool, I'm friends with them, so then now I'm good. Yeah. Uh, no, because you can be racist and have a, a black child. You could be racist and married to a black man. And so what we're not going to do is this performative stuff that is once again harming and damaging um people of color, namely black women once again. So white women, sometimes it's just this back and forth, you know, and we're just supposed to accept every plea for, you know, no, but just, you know. Yeah. Whatever. How dare you? How, You're uppity. Exactly. Because you won't take my hands. Exactly. Man, and so the white tears of, especially women, it's death for yeah, us. Lit it is like yeah. literal and figurative death. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you were saying about protecting your peace or prioritizing your peace is like sometimes black people say no to protect and prioritize their peace. Yes. And, you know, safety. So, yes. So that's that's the mess. OK. And the thing that I'm just um, that I'm going to bless, I honestly 
you know, I'm just going to say the black women that have gone before me um, and the wisdom that they offer and the guidance and the wisdom that you're just able to glean from, um, that's just really impacting me. And just honestly, just sitting at the feet of my sisters, you know, um, the words that you even said today, Sharifa, just completely blessed me. And so I just think like having those opportunities that's what strengthens me. And honestly, like I'm reevaluating where I'm putting my energy because I like, that's what I need right now. I need that, that strength and that support. Um, I don't really have much time for the mess. So, um, so yeah, so everyone, we have loved this conversation. Thank you so much for listening with us. Um, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Join our Patreon community. Um, our patrons get to listen to episodes a day early, and they're commercial-free. And also, um, they get a special extended edition of Go Off Sis. So thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. If you love what you're hearing right now, give us a review on iTunes. That helps more people to find us and find our podcast. So we would love if you shared your thoughts about the Melanated Faith podcast there and share it with your family and friends. And we will see you all next week.